Hello and welcome to the Goals and Glory podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison. And again, he is smiling like a wee boy because that is exactly how I feel. Having read Bestie to Beastie to Belgium by the brilliant Colin Leslie, I got very excited about the characters that were in the book. They were the heroes of mine. They were the people I used to pretend to be in the playground and wished I could be gracing the Easter Road turf with them. And none more so than today's guest. Uh, Colin hooked me up with the contact for this and he bounced straight back and said, yeah, no problem at all. And I've already told him the story off air of why he had a very, very special place in my head and my heart and why I pretended when I was scoring goals that I was this man. So I am absolutely buzzing for this. Let's waste no more time and bring in the one and the only Mr. Steve Cowan. Hello, sir. Hello, Bruce. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. And thank you for joining us. Now, I, I was just telling you this story. When I was a Hibs kid back in the day, on the open day, and we got to watch a wee bit of training, and then each player was given a group of uh, kids to walk around the pitch with. And for some reason, you ended up with, with me in the group I was with. But I don't think I'll let anybody else speak to you. I was I was hanging on your, your left hip, uh, listening to everything you said. Do, do you ever think that folk were pretending to be you is that ever something in your consciousness at a time no never I, I i was if i put myself in you should when i was a wee boy i was pretending to be people like okay we're going back to me dennis law kenny Dalglish. that that's who i was pretending to be so you don't think anybody's going to say that about you but i suppose as we boys who love football that's what you do yeah and and it was just brilliant and those are the times when you can get close to your hero and then they're still your hero so uh, I don't know if I'm embarrassing you or no but I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> to a hero here Stevie so you grew up as a Celtic fan yeah in Glasgow was yeah. that difficult <laughs> well no because it's, you only get two choices <laughs> it's either Celtic or it's Rangers and, and that's it and you know when I grew up in the east end of Glasgow uh, Bristol and then the, you know just up the road from the Celtic training going to Barryfield, but my dad was a Celtic supporter and he would take me obviously to the games. Then you would, I, I wouldn't have nowadays, but when I was eight, nine, and ten, I was going to the games myself, getting lucked over with the guys, all that kind of stuff, and then go there. And then, you know, Barryfield was Celtic train, just happened to be about half a mile from where I stayed. Um, I knew there was trials going on for Celtic Boys Club. I went along, and luckily enough, I get picked. And, you know, I only spent a year there before we, we the family moved to East Kilbride. But, yeah, that, that's how Celtic, you know, sort of became part of my my life, if you like. And what was it you loved about being on the terrace? It's a good question. I, I think just it's the atmosphere. You know, obviously back in the day when there was no seats, everybody's standing, you're all crushed in, uh, even as a, a wee boy 9-10 and... That's how you had to deal with it. And just, just being in that atmosphere, and I think I was lucky at the time, you know, Celtic had not, what was that, a decade, had won the European Cup in a recent time, had been another European Cup final. So being as a boy who was obsessed with football, I mean, like, totally obsessed, I I wanted to see the teams that had won European Cups, and could I, potentially, could I win a European Cup with Celtic? So that's what that's what kept me going. So was that, was that just always the wee boy dream, I want to be a football player? Oh, without without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I always say, Bruce, and I'm sure that you know the guys you speak to. I I, I was very blessed, incredibly blessed. Because if I hadn't had the football, I've got to say I don't know what would have happened to my life. Because I came from really dire background, upbringing wasn't great, and if it wasn't for the football, you know, I don't know where I've ended up. So I feel incredibly blessed that you know I was lucky to have a wee bit of talent to to, to do reasonably well in the game. So you're going to the games on your own at eight or nine. Did you ever feel unsafe? Like if to say that to a parent now, your your wee boy can go down the road and go to the game on his own, and like they, you'd get locked up for suggesting that. Did was that a place where you felt safe and a sense of belonging? Well, I never felt any danger at any time. You know, you grew up in a harsh world. You knew what was around about you, and even at eight, nine, ten you were pretty streetwise and you sort of knew what to avoid and but no you jumped in the you know I can remember jumping in the, the bus number 64 Auchin where I stayed get the bus right I was Auchin right at the end of East End of Glasgow 
right along to, to Celtic Park. Off you walk up, get to a fun cell, and there was a classic, hey, Jimmy, can you give me a lift over? And Jimmy gave you a lift over, and you were in. And then when you were playing football, was that a, was that a sense of freedom? Was that where you were happy that you weren't a... You weren't paying attention to any of the hardships that were around you. You were just getting to play football. Yeah, you, you, you put it really well there, Bruce, in a nutshell. Yeah, that was your escapism. Uh, you know, for what else was usually was going on in your family life or what else was in the background. And, and I, you know, I was quite lucky. So, you know, I got in with the boys' brigade. 179 Company Glasgow. I can tell you, 179 Company Glasgow. You know, playing with Celtic Voice Club, playing the school. Training, it was just utterly football you, know, you come home four o'clock out to the field, 30 guys, football till six. You know, just that, that was, it was just all consuming because we, we had nothing else. Did, did you just play? I was speaking to Mickey Weir about this. Did you just play, or was there a was there a period where you were kicking against the wall with your left foot or the laces, or you were dribbling milk bottles, or were you just playing? I was playing, but I can tell you what I was doing, and it's again. We've all got these wee stories. So in, in our back garden, uh, I had two sisters. I've got two sisters. And they had a, my dad put a swing. So you know that the bars, the, you've got the bars. That was my goal. And I would use a tennis ball, this is true, and throw off the, 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 the face of the house to come back at me, the chest, header, volley. I would do that until the cows came home. But what happened was I didn't realise when it was wet, Bruce, it was leaving these ball marks all up in the wall. And I got a, I got an absolute hiding for it. I did, but it was worth it because that was the skills that I was learning by tennis ball. And you honestly, I know it sounds ridiculous, but nobody's coaching. Chested. I was watching the TV, so I could see my heroes doing this. So I think he's chested it and volleyed it. So I'm going to chest it and volley it. I'm going to header it and little glances and honestly, everything like that. It was like that was my little world in the back garden. Did you just always want to score goals? Was that another big motivation for you? Oh, there's no better feeling than hitting the back of the net. Whether you're a, a youth, an amateur, a junior, a prof- I'm not, you ask any any of these boys that play any level, hitting the back of the net is the greatest feeling in the world. And when when you're doing that, like I'm, I'm not a believer in when you hear pundits and commentators saying, oh, you can see what he was thinking there because... You were thinking in the back garden with that tennis ball. That was when you did your thinking. When it was game time, you were reacting. The muscle memory, the instinct, you were playing on the things that you'd done before. Mm-hmm. But there's that there's that little pause where the ball flies through the air before it hits the back of the net. Can you can you put that into words? What that little moment's like before the crowd go up and before you sprint away to celebrate? What's that little moment of anticipation like? You're right. It's such a, a, a quick split second, but I, I, I never had any any doubt because and this is really hard to, to try and explain. It's like I, 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 how I like to play. You know, talking when I was playing professional. I like to either one or two touch. And for me, finishing was mostly 95% about one touch. Header, glance of the foot, off your knee, hit something. It was all about one touch. And I never had any doubt the ball was going in the net. Now, don't get me wrong, loads of times it didn't. But that didn't put me off for going back again and going back again and go back again. Because you, you ultimately knew one of them were going to go in if you just were brave enough. And I'm sure you've heard that, Bruce. Many guys have said, look, just keep going back in. You'll keep missing, but you will get one that'll score. So you, you just you just knew the ball was going in the net. Where did your confidence come from? My confidence probably came from fear of not making it as a player, or fear of not getting a game, or fear of not being able to totally, you know. Again, I was very lucky. You know my history. Alec Ferguson signed me when I was 13. Um, three years later, St Mirren were going to free me. Uh, unbelievably, and I, I tell you a story about that. I just scored. We played Scotland under 15s. I wasn't playing with them. I, I love this story because it's just mind blowing how somebody's life can hang on one person's opinion. 
Oh, exactly. Jim Clooney was a manager. We played at St Myrne. We played Scotland under 15s with St Myrne. We beat them 7 2 at the old Love Street. I'd scored five and he was and he was freeing me. So I, I had to go home. That was me. Uh, I had no job. I left school at 16. But luckily enough, Alan Ferguson phoned me and says, Come to Aberdeen for a trial. Boom. And away you go. So, you know. And it was always, always was so grateful, and I'm to this day so grateful to him for for having the the, the insight to see that there's something in me because I couldn't see there was anything in me because I've just been freed. But that that does that make you like? How does that make you think and feel? Because that's happening to to more guys than you, and some didn't then go on. That that was the thing that that was the sliding doors moment that meant we've never heard of them now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, is that just the way it is? Do we just have to accept that that's the way it is? Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, one, only one or two percent, as you say, they're just going you know, to be maybe professionals at a, a decent level. But yeah, that, you know, and I, I, I hear the people, you know, ah, you know and ah, I like the pub too much or I like this and I did that and I, I was chasing the, I, no, I just wanted good enough. And you have to put your hand up and accept that you're not good enough. But maybe not to play professional, but when I was doing the coaching, I coached a lot uh, at the, the academy levels and stuff. I would say to the parents, they might not be good enough to play for hearts, but they need to understand if they get 20 years as an amateur or a, a junior, they're going to have a brilliant life, keep fit, have great careers, make loads of pals. There's all the benefits of still being a footballer at any level. Steve, please, please go and tell that to MSPs and, and, MP, and teachers and educators. Because there, to me, you've just summed up what it's to be in any sport. And there's mm-hmm. a huge number of dropouts because they don't make the professional game. Is that because maybe they didn't love it? What they wanted was to be a professional. They didn't actually love football. Well, you've got to love football. I mean, I think I said that I, I was and I'm obsessed. And I'm a student of football. Not from the coaching side, but I do, obviously. But just I love the history of football. And I've always loved that, you know. And, but again, my own son, who is 32, 33 now, he's finished his career, but he was at Hearts for a couple of years, didn't make it any further. But he played at Bowness and he played at, you know, junior teams like that, and it, some amateur teams. He made loads of pals, travelled a wee bit of the world, had a great time, kept fit. Magic. I mean, what else? you couldn't beat it. But you, you would have still played if... If, if Alec Ferguson hadn't come knocking a second time, you would have done the same. You would have gone and played because you loved it. But there's a huge yeah. number of folk who drop out because they didn't make it. So they, they've have they loved football, do you think? Probably, of, yeah, they, they probably have loved football, I would say, Bruce, but they probably don't have... It's not just about love of football then. And, you, and this, is, this is well worn, these words, but not get the right attitude. Don't have the desire don't have the hunger. And particularly nowadays, you see a lot, like I had them at, you know, particularly at Hearts in the academy. I was so lucky to work with some great boys up there who became pros. Um, but they come from really nice lifestyles. And if they get a knockback, it could be the end of the world for them because they've never had any harsh realities. Now, I know for a wee boy, which I've said, growing up as a wee boy, I had, I had so many harsh things happen and seen so before I got to football, I'd already been rejected hundred times from other things and things going wrong. So being rejected by football, which I was with Simon, then it wouldn't have never deterred me. So you, I mean, there's there's the Alec Ferguson bit of of your story, which is is probably unique. There's no many people get picked up by Alec Ferguson at thirteen, and then again a few years later and and taken up the road to Aberdeen. What was it like? Because he wasn't Fergie as we know him now, so it wasn't mm-hmm. maybe the aura that he had. But in those days, I would imagine he had to come and chap your door to get a signature on the bit of paper. Oh. And how how did that work? Bruce, he had the aura. It was frightening. <laughs> Honestly, it was frightening. You know, when he came up to my house at thirteen, just says, "Right, come up, get mum and dad ready. We'll sign it." Because he stayed in school Bride when we moved to school Bride, so it was easy for him. But Aberdeen as well, I mean, I, I, I do tell a story that we played Huntley and I, 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 up in the, the, the Highland League there. I had a nightmare because the game had went five times quicker. I had a total shocker driving back down the bus. 
Nobody's speaking to me. Drew Jarvis was on it. Drew Grigsby. Boys like that. Nobody's speaking to me. I'm thinking, oh, I'm bombed here as well. Then off the steps of the bus, Ferry grabs me and says, right, Kevin, we're going to sign you. Go down the road, pack your case, and be back up here on Monday morning, ready to train. That was it. And I had an absolute shocker. I know I had a shocker. But because of the greatness of the man, what he'd done in his career, he could see by that. And for me, as I said earlier on, Bruce, it wasn't the talent. They could see, you know, I always said that in football, nobody worked hard for me, nobody had a better attitude, nobody had a bigger desire. They could have been better footballers, a lot are better footballers. But see those first three things, that gets you a long way. And he knew that. So when, when you start to coach and work with academy players, you can make them a, a better striker, you can make them a, yeah. you know, you can improve their touch, their game understanding. But those first three things, how did you go about helping players develop those? And you thought from the skills point of view? No, from that no, from attitude, the, or, or that the, work the, ethic, that desire to keep going. It's, it's quite simple. Speak to them. Speak to them and listen to them. Uh, you know, I, I had Jamie Walker, Jason Holt, Mikey Devlin, you know, all, all these boys. And you just have to listen to them. And then when, when you can talk to them at their level, and you think, you've got a chance here. However, see if you just do that, let me see when the games are going against you. And we used to, the hearts, we used to go and play Celtic Rangers at their, their academies and all this kind of stuff. And honestly, the, the, and you see how they reacted to that. You actually just didn't have to do a lot of talking. You knew they had the attitude, the desire, and the hunger to actually ally with their ability to then go and, you know, take on these supposed great teams. And you can ask these boys, we would often beat them and come back to Glasgow with wins many times, not just through the skill, but through that three, three things you mentioned there. Bruce. These boys were going back, I think, just listen to them, have a wee chat with them, and you just get it right away. And again, you talk about wee boys when you were a wee boy and I was a wee boy. I'm putting myself back as a wee boy then, talking to them as a wee boy. I'm going, I like what I hear here. This is great. You obviously love that. You're a, you're a people person because you've spoken about if you didn't make it, you can keep playing and make friends mm. and build relationships. So that was, was that substituting some of what was going on in life where you were able to find some kindred spirits kicking a ball about? Well, not quite the opposite, Bruce. This is going to sound really weird. Um, at that level, and I can say, st- I mean, Aberdeen Hibs or model my three Scottish teams, um, I never really got on with anybody. <laughs> I, I, I didn't like many many of them either, but, and because seeing in that environment, honestly, it's true. They they're trying to take food off your table. They're trying to take that jersey off you. But back when I played, there was only thirteen people getting stripped. So to get in that Aberdeen team, to get in that thirteen, what what an effort it took, and a mighty effort. You couldn't be pals with people. We were kicking lumps at each other in training. Why Fergie was so good? One of the things he was so good was our training for Monday Friday was like how you'd play on a Saturday. It was brutal. You know, fights, punches, kicking. Honestly, you know, Alan McLeese put me at the game for four months when they tackled him when I was 17 and tore my knee ligaments. That, 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 and there was, you never jumped out of the way. What do you mean I never jumped out of the way? So, I've, I've only probably got one, my, my, my best friend in is Doogie Bell, who played at Hibs as well. Yeah. Aberdeen with me, St. Martin with me. I've known Dougie, you know, since I was 13 at St. Martin. He's my only, he's my only friend. We didn't socialise with each other. No. Wow. <laughs> so, fair, but, fair. But on, Monday, on Monday, I would have to go and kick him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Fergie obviously loved that competitive edge and, and he was a, a master. Uh, he was a master in sort of manipulating those situations, wasn't he? Did Were you aware mm-hmm. that that was happening or is it just with hindsight you look back and go, that's what he was up to? It's a, again, good question at the time because I knew him at St. Mung, so I knew what I was getting when I went to Aberdeen, so it wasn't much a shock for me. But when he arrived at Aberdeen, it was a shock for the people, Joe Harper, who played at Hibs as well, people like that who get the fright of their life and were chased within very short time and that's when all the young boys came through and we we just accepted this is the environment you're in and I was people ask me Bruce and you know when you go to Parkhead and Ibrox and 50, 60,000 people whatever I wasn't the feet of any of them I wasn't the feet of one person 30 <laughs> honest to God 
I knew if I came off that park and he just said, all right, well done, or no bad, or I've got away with it. I've got away with that. <laughs> Honestly. And often he didn't, because to tell you a hundred stories where it was the opposite way. And how, how did it work in the changing room before a game? Was the, you know, what, what was the atmosphere like going into Premier League? Because it, it was a rougher, tougher game than it is now. Was there a was there a bit of a sense of we're going into a battle here, or were you able to focus on we're we're going to keep the ball moving? Like you said, I want to play one or two touch. Were, were you ready for that physical jump up in in pace and intensity? Always, yeah, always. And you know, if I look down that dressing room at Aberdeen, Alec McLeish, Willie Muller, Gordon Strachan, Mark McGee, you know, to bring them all off, huh, nobody was intimidating them. Nobody was, you know, there was no fear. So if people wanted to play, we'll play. And if you wanted to kick, we'll kick. We, we, let, we let them choose, you know. And that's where Fergie got us into the Celtic thing, you know, that West, West of Scotland bias. And he would, he, I mean, he's for Govan, I'm for Brighton, McLeish is for Govan, Wally Muller's for Brighton. So we're off of the West anyway, but he got us so anti-West. <laughs> you know, they're taking money out of your pocket. Your kids can't go to school and eat. They're doing that. You can't, honestly, you name it. Motivation. Wow. Let's go. And as you saw, we won more often than we lost to the big big two in Glasgow. You had you had some serious injury problems by the time yeah. you were I mean by the time you were twenty two, you uh, how many operations did you had? I had three major ones and at nineteen I was told to quit. And how I mean how did how do you cope with that as a nineteen year old? <laughs> uh, well, I remember when the surgeon came in after the third one, and it was back in the day before the arthroscope. It was the, I call it the broken bottle treatment on the knee. You know, just giving you a slice and let's see what we can dig out, right? Um, and he says, he says, have you ever thought about doing anything apart from football? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, your knee's gone. You, you can't keep playing. And obviously, she start crying. I was crying, emotional, all that kind of stuff. But... Again, because of the environment I was in with Fergie and all them, you get back to, you know, maybe a few days later, you're back in trying to get rehab and whatever. And it's, you know, Fergie comes into the, the, the physio room, come on, come on, you're all right, you run it off, we'll sort you out, put ice on that. Honestly, get out there, you're more finished. Such, and you go, right. And luckily for me, I managed to get, I was 28, but then again, I had another couple of us and told to quit again before I eventually had to go at 32. But it was, it was mind over matter, Bruce. It was like, well, nobody's taking us away from me. Nobody, my body's not taking us away from me. But it did harm me because then I, I was quite quick until then. But then that slowed me down, lost maybe a yard of pace. But it worked in my favour because then I had to think more about the game. Rather than try to run, outrun people, how can I outthink people now? And that that was, that worked in my favour because I could understand that being a striker who just wanted to score goals, I would always play in the shoulder. So I'm, lean, I'm always leaning that way. And it's up to the centre half to decide what you're going to do. You're going to stand your ground and gamble or you're going to go back. So when when you're playing up front, it's, it's tough because you're saying there's 13 players on the pitch. But to be the striker, you, you've you got to hit the ground running, really, haven't you? you you've, got to, you've got to get into it. Now, when you go to Hibs, it seemed like you were scoring for fun. What what was it that happened there? I think I think it was, I think it was two or three things. Um, I think first of all, John Blackley, Sloop, Sloop JB, the, the legend that is Sloop, um, brilliant man manager. Him and Tommy Craig, you know. And when you see when you somebody buys you and you feel wanted, like you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling. And I knew Hibs was a big club. Clearly, Edinburgh, a big city. I thought you know this this could work out. Fergie actually offered me another two-year contract to stay, which took me to eight years at Aberdeen, but we just had my first kid, me and my wife, first daughter. You need to build my money, as you know, Bruce with family and all that kind of stuff. So thought, no, I had to go down to Hibs, but it was slow to start with. But I think the environment that he created with the players that were there, obviously, Gordon Jury, a kickoff. I mean, what a striking partner. There's your, there's your runner right away. He'll run away from anybody. I mean, him... You've got Mickey Weir, could cross a ball for fun. Joe Totlano, who we talked about earlier on, could cross a ball. 
you know, people like John Collins can pass. So all of a sudden you're in a team that can only create an awful lot of bruise. So I'm just thinking, and I'm saying to them, well, just put it in there. And if I'm not there, that's my fault. And all these boys did. Ali Brazil, people used to criticise Ali was probably taking a touch and saying, there you go, Steve. Gordon. Brilliant. Simple football, and it worked. So how, how much did Sloop John B and, and Tommy Craig, when, when they bring you in, how much of the, your role did they outline, or was it bloody obvious, just come and score some goals? Well, see, the funny thing is, Mickey, me and Mickey, we are talking about this. Like, I was only 22 when I joined Hibs. So they keep talking about today's players at 22 are young boys and this. But Mickey and all them viewed me as an experienced player. <laughs> <laughs> and so did, so did Sloop. And I didn't know that at the time. I just thought, well, I'm just a young boy like Mickey or, or Kano or, you know, Jeebsy or whoever. It doesn't matter who it is. But because I'd played a few games for Aberdeen and we won the league and this, that, and other, I thought, well, he's an experienced player coming. I was far from I was like 22. <laughs> but Sloot never said. He just said, look, you're going to be up front with Gordon and off you go. And we were so lucky that we bonded really well. But it's because I'm a great believer, Bruce, that the strikers are nothing without the people around about you. Absolutely nothing. You can't, you can't do it without Totlano, Weir, Collins, Kane, Brazil, all these boys. Brilliant at supplying chances. And you get into a vein of form, don't you? And I know, you know, the stuff you do in, in the media and, and reporting on the game and commentating on the game, there's some times where for some reason it just can't hit a coup's arse with a banjo. Like, it just, it's not, it's just not happening. Can you feel when it's the other way? Can you feel whenever you touch turns to gold? Yeah, you can feel both of them really palpably. It's really so. The good side, which you you know you said there, is that you just know that what was good. We, we had a great league cup run in that first year. We got to the the final um, and playing under the lights at Easter Road and a night game. I felt was magical. I I, I don't know what it is. It was different for Bittodri, but it was magical. You've been to hundreds of games at Easter Road, Bruce, and you, you'll probably get what I'm saying, that it was just magical. And I think the fans bought into what John was trying to do and the players that he brought in. And we were scoring sixes and fives, and it just, this is, I, we just got a buzz. I mean, I'm Alan Snedden, I remember having a chat with Alan Snedden, they said, brilliant, yeah, another Tuesday, Wednesday night game. And Snoddy's going, yeah. And so I, I don't know if it was luck, I don't know, but that was, we had the buzz under the lights at Easter Road. And that helped us then kick on for that. When you arrive at a new club, so you, you went up to Aberdeen as a as a youngster, you then signed for Hibs as an experienced pro. Uh -huh. How how are you how are you welcomed into the training ground and the changing room when you move clubs? One of the things I find now when I look at the players, you know, a guy's come in on a short term loan, a guy's arrived from overseas, and then you must have known and played against most of that squad. Yeah. They'll have had an idea of who you are. You'll have had an idea of who they are. How easy is it to integrate in a new team? It's not. It's not easy at all because you're viewed with fear, suspicion. Who is he? Why do we need him? The two or three strikers that are already there hate you. Well, they do. And, and I remember it was Alan Irvin, the, the first Alan Irvin. Yeah. Was one of them. And, you know, I hardly ever spoke. I mean, but rightly so, if it was me, I'd be saying the same. When I was at Aberdeen and Fergie would bring in, you know, Mark McGee's, you know, Steve Archibald would be there, he'd be sold. Mark McGee would come in, he'd be, you know, playing really well. Frank McDougall, wonderful. And you're thinking, I hate them. <laughs> but I knew that yeah, to, to be accepted, wasn't he going to be on, on, on the field to play as much? It was training, you were going to be tested because straight away, you got a couple of bangs. Gordon Ray, Gordon Hunter, honestly. Let's let's see what he's made, eh? And is he capable of wearing the green and white strip? Because they talk about legends here, top, top top men, legends for the clubs, and they're not going to allow anybody just to come in and waltz around. But because of it, I came from a really harsh environment in Aberdeen anyway, but okay, boys, that's, that's fine, let's do it. And then when they say you can take it, and then add, add a couple of goals on a Saturday, you're in. And what, what then happens, the the changing room is obviously you preparing for for training sessions, for for the games. What then happens, you, you said that, you know, your relationships with the players maybe wasn't what, 
did you did you go out on the town with the boys? What what was the bus like on the way back for away trips? Was there was it different if you won or lost? Uh, uh, let me just clarify something. See, at three o'clock, I would have died for any player. Should have added that in. at three o'clock to five o'clock. I would have died for them. I would have done anything for them because the, the common goal was to win the game and get the bonus money. Not anybody kid you on about uh, which one to win points. It was to win the points and get the bonus money. Because that supplemented your wages, and we won the paid a lot of money in those days. So you needed to win games and rightly so to get money. But after that, no. I mean, the only, only person I really sort of had half half a relationship was Mark Fulton. Remember, big Mark came to St. Yeah. Martin, ended up in going into the police and a, a great career in the police. Um, no, didn't didn't socialize. Was in your car, home. In your car, home. And where I stay, local pub. That's your your mates and your friends. Then it's heart supporters, Rangers supporters. So, and the banter, getting you absolute pelters and all that kind of stuff. Um, Henry Smith, you know, the great heart school keeper, just stayed down the road for me. He used to come in as well. So that was, I always enjoyed that. But no going with the players because ultimately you end up, as I said earlier on, the, the competition for places were too great. You couldn't really be pals. How did you feel? You said you loved those floodlit games at Easter Road. How did you feel with the supporters? Oh, I, I loved the supporters because... I felt, unless you tell me different, Bruce, because you were one of them, that they took to me very quickly because they could see that, okay, might have had a couple of goals, but, you know, decent player, worked hard, get stuck in, nobody fear to any centre-halves, you know, and I think if you can bring that roundness to everything, because it's kind of all just be about goals, it's got to be whatever else you can add, because games you're playing no well, and that's what I learned playing under Alec Ferguson, that you might not be playing well enough, but see if a ball comes up and you can crack the centre-half one. And the ball, true, and the ball bounces to Gordon Jury to score. You've done your job. There's there's a thing I, I always like at, at games. Sometimes a tackle gets as big a cheer as anything else. Mm. And that's that's where you show that you're, like you said, you would die for any day between three o'clock mm. and five o'clock. Did did you relish those chances to, to get in, get the full foot through the ball? Uh-uh. Tackling, it wasn't that wasn't even probably me. I mean, I could do it because I played in centre half and I, I played in positions, but for me, it was the physical. I say there, it was the elbows. So I'm against the Terry Butchers and the Roy Aitkins and all these people who, you know, the, the famous game of 1986 where he, if he'd have caught me, he would have took my head off. He just tried, he really just tried to do me. And I'm trying to do him. And that, that's how, in those days, that you could get away with that. So you had to be mindful that. As a striker, you operate with your elbows. No try to tackle in the ground. <laughs> when when you watch the game now, or when, when you stopped playing, how long did it take you to stop being a player watching the game and becoming a a pundit or a coach or an analyst? How or or just a supporter? Were were you still kicking every ball and going up with your elbows? You know, as you're watching the TV or sitting in the stand, did it take you a while to transition from being a player to a spectator? It's a brilliant question, Bruce. Honestly, it's a real, I get asked that quite a lot. I'm not a supporter. See, you're a proper supporter. I, 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 I've been lucky to play in that, in that side. So I've never been that passionate about a club where it means, you know, like you're very passionate about your club and people are passionate. I, I've, not be, I, I've never been like that. I always, I, I watch, you know, I watch, the, I watch probably Hearts a bit later on or whatever or some of the games and I'll be sitting saying, why is he not just given a five-yard pass? Why is he not just slipped in? Why is he not just... And my wife's sitting taking this on her ear. <laughs> Why? So I've always been analytical. And being, as you say, Celtic supporter, my family will criticise me when I criticise Celtic. But they see it as a supporter. And I'm saying, well, if he'd have just did that, we could have got that. I, I, I do I always look at the games that I mean, really, how could that player have done something different that could have affected a different result or outcome for them yeah so was there ever a player that you looked at maybe it was gordon jury and you thought this this guy's going places this you know is there john collins or you know you played in a, a team at aberdeen was there boys you looked at and thought this guy's going he, he's going all the way first one aberdeen was tracking i mean he was already established but you knew he he, he was an outstanding player Outstanding, had player. Gordon Jury, 
straight away you think, wow, you know, and obviously the fantastic John Collins you mentioned, you just you could see when you get the ball under control, head up, good passes, not under any pressure, killing the ball instantly. You know, you see these boys were going to, you know, do well. Kano, to be fair, you knew boys like him were going to have good careers. Yeah, absolutely. And what what happens with Hibs then? So you're you're playing. You're I take it you're enjoying the experience. Uh, what what then happens? How how does it turn out for you? Well, very well. Uh, <laughs> um, again, I gets another injury, has another operation, um, and I was out for about four months. In that period, and then when I just came back, I think John got the sack. Then him and, him and Tommy, and then Alan Miller came in. So already I was I was behind the curveball when he appeared. I know relationship started really well. And, you know, I remember our first game against Rangers. I, I was injured, and he says, "Oh, come and sit in the bench." And it started well, but clearly he was a different coach from John Blackley. He wanted different things for his strikers, and I, I, I was always had the the comfort of knowing the managers previously. Play between the sticks. Fergie would say, play between the sticks. Sloot would say, between the sticks. That's where you're best at. Alec was looking for a different type of game for, from, from a striker in terms of coming short a lot, and, you know, chasing down fullbacks a lot. And I think, well, that's been had four operations. The, the legs are not going to carry me that way. So that's when it all started to go wrong for me at Hibs. And how, what, what do you then do? Do you. Do you knuckle doing and yeah, I'm just going to work harder? Do you do you start looking for other things? Are you listening to whispers? How how does it work then to transition out of a club at that stage? Well, initially, yeah, it was work as hard as you can, knuckle down. Hopefully, you get a chance, and hopefully, then you can convince the manager. Look, if you try and use me to the best of, I think my abilities, ally a runner in beside me, you might have get more out of me because I signed a new two year deal. Alec Miller offered me another two-year deal, so he must have thought, well, okay, we'll give this guy a chance. But then when we started the season again, I used to do the pre-season, and even at Aberdeen, I, I can't do the long runs. You know, the five, ten miles. And I'm saying to the manager, who runs ten miles in a game? I mean, why am I running ten miles and a one-up? So, but when it came down to the 40, 50, 60 yards, that's when I came into my mowing then. I could do them quite good. Um, and I wasn't and then but he wanted something different and I wasn't in a team and eventually I went in and said to him, So look, if I'm looking at a game, you're gonna to have to let me go. Uh, and then that's when Motherwell came in for me. Really sad to leave Hibs at that time, Bruce, because I've been there two and a half years, not long, I don't think anyway, uh, long enough. And you just wonder if Sloop had still been there. But that's football, you can in life, you can't just you know think of that. So but thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time at Hibs and still look back and with great fondness. It's amazing, I think, because you were there for, as you've just said, a, a short period of time, but you're so highly thought of by supporters and, and the generations that were on the terrace and at that time. Steve Cowan's got a really good reputation amongst those fans. You must take a huge amount of pride from that. Oh, I do. I, I really do. I mean, when I go back to Easter Road to do the comedy work, I love it get into the stadium and you see people that, you know, when talk to people around that time, um, you look at the pictures and the walls and all that kind of stuff and you can look at the park and you're like, oh, listen, Bruce, honestly, absolutely loved my time at Easter Road. Fantastic time and where I stay, a lot of people are Hibs fans around here. Uh, you know, and you're always, I, I just, I, I think, I don't know if it's because of the famous five, probably is because a wonderful, fantastic group of footballers that the Hibs fans appreciate maybe that good football and type, and if they see, maybe see something, don't get me wrong, nothing like the famous five, but some just want to get stuck in, maybe get a few goals and have a good attitude. I think the Hibs fans appreciate that. What was it like playing on the slope? <laughs> oh, loved it. Absolutely loved it because obviously Big Gordon would say, look, win the toss and shut up the way in the first half. Always shut up the way because psychologically... I know this is weird. We always thought we'd score as many goals as you like going down the slope. And you've seen many Hibs teams do that. I'm sure, Bruce, that it was just psychologically. And see when we lost the toss, deflated. Why haven't they shoot down the first half? Gordon, how did you lose the toss? 
Did, were other teams exactly. thinking the same thing? Were other yes. captains? Were they totally. Doing... totally. Get Hibs because when we went to when, when I was at Aberdeen, we said get him, get get him shooting doing hell in the first half. Uh, I, I love that, and it, it it's a sad thing. It's one of those, you know, it's like when Terrison goes, or it's like there's certain things that go, and now there's no slope at Easter Road, mm. and it it's it's missed. I think it was one of those things that made it unique. Oh, totally, you know, and obviously, you know, back in the day before all the seating and all that, and you know, and when you come out in that one game I talked about, you know, that that 1986 game against Rangers, then. You come out and you see the colour. I mean, the, the green and white, three quarters of the stadium, the red, white and blue there, blue sky, green park, the slope going down, and, and you, you think, oh, this is brilliant. You can, I mean, I can start, I can, I'm Bruce, I can still feel it like, this is brilliant. I, I love that. I love your enthusiasm and your passion for it. And then, I mean, you, there, there was a time where they were organising friendlies. Mm-hmm. Like now, if you were to ask a football player to play an extra game, I think some of them would go on strike. What What was that like when somebody turns to you and says, "By the way, Feyenoord they're coming and we're going to play them"? Was that just excitement? Oh, it was brilliant. You know, the group of players that were there, and I mentioned quite a lot of them. Bruce, that what great lads they were. I mean, Feyenoord coming, right? When Tuesday night, let's go. A chance to play. A different team that you never never get a chance to play uh, with a reasonable you know pedigree at Easter Road under the lights back to the famous days in the 60s and all that when it was the European games under the lights and so you had a chance to have a, wee, a, a, a bit of a taste of that and I, 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 we, we, we just thought it was brilliant I mean back then I think I'm not sure did I play was it 40 or 50 games in a row or something there's no thought of having a rest because I I like training to a degree, but I would rather play Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. And if you ask all the boys then, they'd be the same. The more games, the merrier. Uh, it, it beats training, doesn't it? I mean, there's nothing, oh, better, than, nothing better than players. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. It's, uh, it's then, uh, I, I love that you, you obviously were still passionate about it because you then, you then go to Ireland mm-hmm. and... You just you just wanted to play, didn't you? You just had a huge enthusiasm for it. You still do have a huge enthusiasm for the game. Yeah, I, I just want to play. Uh, you know, I was thinking, I knew my knees have started to go the wrong way then. I was thinking, right, well, part-time football. Because I started, I, when I was at Motherwell full-time, I got a job working in financial services, what I still do today. What a lucky break I got there. I told you, I, think, I feel blessed, Bruce, that the wee breaks that you get. Um so I thought, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot, but I could never imagine how successful that was either. I'm thinking, and it was the red strip, like Aberdeen. You know, it was really freaky. And we were winning cups and leagues like Aberdeen and this and that. And it was just like, so I had a great three years over there. And, I mean, it must have been a different a different culture, a different environment. It's still the same game, but it, it's different from Scottish Premier League, isn't it? Oh yeah, you're probably I mean, you're probably talking lower half of the, the first division, that type of standard of football, if you like. So it's still decent. Um, but the fact that I was still scoring goals, I mean, I think I had 130 goals in 156 games. So I was still scoring goals, which is my passion in life, was to score goals. And I was still and again, when I look at that team, I was so lucky there was players there were similar to what I had at Hibs and Aberdeen who could create loads of chances for you because it was so good. And I thought, well, this is brilliant. And score goals, score goals, keep playing. And again, I was lucky again because I only trained for that team in three years, four times, if I was lucky. <laughs> because I played a Saturday, played a Tuesday, I trained with Motherwell on a Thursday, they allowed me to come in Thursday morning, and then play a Saturday. And I, I never trained with the team. <laughs> Just played. <laughs> Played and had a ridiculous strike rate. Like they, they, they must have just thought you were the messiah scoring goals like that. That was there players there who were asking you for what do we do here? What's this like? What's it like playing there? Was was there guys with a thirst for your knowledge? No, because nobody wants to ask that question. Nobody wants to be seen. Oh, I'm, I'm asking him again. You're viewed as suspicion. Oh, they're flying him in. They must be paying him a. 
fair bit of money. Why are we not getting the money? Who is he? Who does he think he is? So you've got the same challenge again, Bruce, what you asked me earlier on. You've got to go and then prove yourself again. And, and away you go. And luckily I did that. And the club hadn't won a major trophy. They'd never won, you know, we managed to win two of the leagues, the cup, two or three league cups. And it's like, oh, he's, he's not a bad player. We'll accept him. He's not a bad player. Well, strike like that, he's not a bad player. And then, I mean, you've said you're a student of the game and you're obviously mm. so passionate about it and that's why you're still in demand. Do you, do you love talking about the game? Do you like being challenged and, and learning about the teams and the players and what's coming up and where they've been before? Is that something that excites you still? Oh, Bruce, you're talking, you're talking just having the... That's, I mean, honestly... You're on the, on the phone looking at all the stuff. You're, I'm reading the papers, watching anything that's clear you know, football, all the channels, and I just absolutely love it because it's such, as you, and I know you're passionate about the game as well, it's such a brilliant, brilliant sport. I know other people in other sports will say this sport's brilliant. I just, football's the best ever. The best game ever. And I, I, I just, I can't, I, my whole family, we're all just football mad. If if you could uh, if you could go anywhere to watch a game, where would you go to watch a game live? Where would you go? Watch a game live. Where would I go? Um, probably, probably Madrid, Real Madrid, because um, I watched them absolutely torture Celtic. I mean, I was sitting clapping, but I see the third goal. I was sitting clapping, going, "How did you do that?" Yeah. These guys, these guys are so at a different level from what I was ever to do or play and watching them. And with the when they get the press on them, and they're still keeping the ball and making passes. How do you do that? So I know it's their ability, but I, Madrid would be the one to watch them. What a wonderful team! Yeah, there's there's just so much, isn't there? There's so many. I, I mean, you go to South America and be involved in the passion or the the crowd. You can go to Italy and see a Milan derby, although I'm not sure I'm brave enough to do that. But <laughs> uh, uh, there's there's just there's just so much out there for for all tastes. So look, looking back on your on your time at Hibs, is there a moment that if you could rewind the clock and go back to that, is it is it a goal? Is it a final whistle is it a changing room is there a moment where you think that was that was hibs for me yeah there was prob probably two games but if you ask me to pick one it would be the, the time we beat celtic 4-3 in the scotch cup what final easter road um what 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 a, an unbelievable game part was muddy it was a, a damp wet day celtic were in town with mo johnson and Ryan McClare and all these boys, and they were going to do this to us, going to do that to us. Um, and we beat them 4 3, as you know. I, I was lucky enough to score two in the game. Uh, Eddie, May, Eddie May stole that one off me at the end. Because <laughs> I don't think I had to about lost No, Eddie did brilliant, good diving header. So that game there, Bruce, would probably, you know, they won, the, they won their hoops. We won the green white strip as well. No change of colours in the muddy part, in the big crowd, and oh, that, that that was a great game. I love it. I absolutely love it, Steve. I've I've absolutely loved chatting to you. I think I I could go on all night, but uh, it, it's just been brilliant to reminisce with you, and and I really appreciate you taking your time. If uh, if you could score a goal anywhere, where would it be? In the Bernabeu against Real Madrid? Uh, no, probably Milan that you mentioned earlier on because I just. Scoring in the San Siro, wow! I mean, not not much better than that, is it? Well, I, I don't know. Do, who who do you enjoy reporting on and and watching? Who who is it? If you if you get the, I don't know. You get the email during the week to say, "Here's what we want you to do," or "Here's where you want you to be." Is there one that gets the gets the blood pumping? Is it Celtic? No, because we, 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 we stay away from the old firm, which I think is a, a good thing for us. I, I just enjoy just getting to a game, Bruce. Honestly, I mean, I was a couple of weeks ago, I was at Livingston. Really enjoyed them. I mean, played really, really well. Um, beat St. Johnson that, that day comfortably. I just love get, just getting out to a game and you're in with the fans and you're all standing there and, and they're shouting at you and you're just trying to have a bit of fun with them and, and you watch some young players coming through and still watching Jason Holt, who I had as a wee boy, them. So I, I just listen. 
Saturday, Saturday afternoon from 12 to 6, football. Get me to a game. Nice. I love that. You should get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday afternoon, get me to a game. Or, or uh, sometimes you see those if if found, please return to the football. <laughs> That's a good quote, by the way. You should get that patented. <laughs> Steve, I've absolutely loved it. Thank you, my man. I, I hope to see you soon. Take care. What an absolute star. You just got to love the passion and enthusiasm the man still has for the game and you can you can see and you can feel the the reminiscing is just sparking it again i think he's ready to go out and play a game now i've absolutely loved it steve cowan what a legend all, all those years ago where he walked me around easter road park and answered every single question uh some of them probably a bit more shallow than the ones i've asked tonight but what an absolute star i've loved that if you've enjoyed it, then you can catch us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, there's going to be more. There's been some and there's going to be more. Hopefully you're enjoying it. And it's all thanks to Colin Leslie and his book, Bestie to Beastie to Belgium. You can get it in all good bookshops and even some pretty rubbish ones too. It's available at the Hibs Club store and you can get it online at bigcartel.com. Go on. Get it for somebody's Christmas. Make make their Christmas for them. Any Hibs fan, we'd love to have it. I hope you've enjoyed it. My name is Bruce Aitchison from the Goals and Glory podcast, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon. <laughs>